0: Hi, good afternoon. Uh, This is Greg Lois, and if you're with me today, it's to learn a little bit about Section 20s in New Jersey, as well as uh, barriers to Section 20s. Uh, In the past, this presentation has really focused on Medicare secondary payer issues, and that would be both conditional payments uh, and liens, as well as prospective issues uh, involving the Medicare Secondary Payer Act. Um, However, I think it's pretty well figured out, and everyone sort of knows how to deal with the Medicare secondary payer issue, so we're not going to spend a lot of time during this presentation on that. Instead, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about Section 20s, answering any questions you might have about Section 20s, and providing a little opinion about why they are so difficult to obtain in New Jersey. Um, This webinar is entirely and totally live. So uh, please feel free to ask questions of me as we proceed. I can see the questions um, popping up over here. And just so that you know, Vicky at home watching this, uh, I think the zero button is stuck down on your keyboard because I see questions coming in just let the number zero. Um, all right, uh, let's begin. Uh, anyway, type in your questions. I can see them as we go. You can also send me a little chat, that little pop-up. I can't respond to the chats, but I will respond to all of the questions at the end. I'll give you a reminder later. All right. Um, First, uh, sort of the uh, basis of our our conversation today is that you have a workers' compensation claim. It's pending in New Jersey, and you want to resolve it. Um, A little later in the discussion, we'll talk about what happens when you have a Medicare red flag in the case. Let's start with talking about briefly what is Section 20 in New Jersey. Section 20 is the reason that I uh, wake up in the morning and handle workers' compensation cases. It's the reason I have this lawyer haircut and put on this uh, lawyer costume and spring out of bed in the morning and go to work on behalf of my clients. A Section 20 is what I am trying to attain in most of their cases. Statistically, one-third of all cases filed in the New Jersey Workers' Compensation Court will be dismissed. Uh, About a third will settle by way of order approving settlement. That's a settlement pursuant to Section 22. And then about a third are going to resolve by way of a lump sum dismissal via Section 20 of our statute. And you'll hear practitioners use the term Section 20 to describe any lump sum uh, settlement of a case that results in the immediate dismissal of the matter with no potential for that petitioner to come back before the court and seek uh, future benefits. And that's really what we're gonna focus on today. Uh, Section 20 is not available in every case. Um, So let's talk a little bit about that. First, it is a lump sum payment with no potential future medical exposure, no potential future indemnity exposure. You are not admitting liability when you resolve a case by way of Section 20. In the statute, it specifically states that any amount of money paid pursuant to Section 20 is uh, considered uh, 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 a payment of compensation, but for insurance rating purposes only. You are not admitting liability, exposure, or employment uh, when you make a payment pursuant to Section 20. Of course, this is a full and final settlement. The petitioner cannot reopen this case in the future. A Section 20, uh, 20 cannot be forced Both parties need to consent to the Section 20, and the statute states that the judge must approve any Section 20 settlement. It doesn't say the judge has to, uh, but any Section 20 settlement needs to be put through on the record before a judge of compensation. I've had clients ask me if we can do an out-of-court Section 20 lump-sum dismissal of a case. Unfortunately, that is not possible. Uh, Certainly, you can write up papers and use the word Section 20 all over it and exchange them uh, with your adversary and state that you're dismissing the case, Uh, but it really has no legal validity unless a judge of compensation has signed that paperwork and approved that on the record. Um, There has to be an issue, a jurisdictional uh, issue, before the workers' compensation judge or an issue of liability, causal relationship, or dependency, and that's statutorily required. Now, there's a huge amount of flexibility in there, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit, but essentially in the admitted case in which the petitioner sustains a work-related loss, lost time is compensated, medical treatment is provided, and then the petitioner returns to work for the employer, it's going to be very difficult to position that case for a Section 20 lump sum dismissal. Many judges of compensation will say, wait, this was handled always as an admitted accident loss, you've paid uh, indemnity benefits, you've compensated medical, and there is potentially a permanent residual disability exposure out there, Uh, I'm not going to allow this Section 20 to be uh, put through on the record. I'm not going to allow you to lump sum dismiss this case. And I put the term here on the uh, slide saying, quote, there's judicial flexibility about whether they should or should not approve. There's also no judicial guidance for the judge of compensation telling them when they should or should not approve a uh, proposed Section 20. The statute states that it must be fair and just, as does the rule, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, Some of my uh, clients do not want to do a Section 20 lump sum dismissal when the petitioner continues to work for them, and I think there are some valid reasons why maybe a lump sum dismissal where the petitioner continues to work for you might not be great uh, for you, the employer, and and some of those reasons might be, hey, this petitioner just got $10,000 for their slip and fall with very minimal treatment, hypothetically, of course. Uh, Maybe the employer doesn't want to encourage other employees like, hey, this is an easy way of getting easy money. Uh, Maybe the carrier doesn't want to uh, encourage that. Uh, There is some uh, consideration about whether or not uh, the carrier will get full credit for amounts paid uh, pursuant to section 20, whereas if they had paid the uh, award, any uh, uh, hypothetical resultant award for permanent residual disability, if they had paid that award under section 22, uh, which does allow for reopener, that perhaps they would be able to take a credit for it more easily in the future. I disagree with that because if we're paying money on an award, presumably there are there is some medical out there to establish. The award, and I do believe that under the Abdullah, uh, you would still uh, Abdullah case, excuse me, you would still get credit for any of that um, prior or pre-existing disability, regardless of whether it was a reopener uh, credit or not. Anyway, um, so uh, Section 20 is not available in every case. I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, what what uh, that means and why that's not so great for us. Uh, statutorily, the statute uh, actually spells out the requirements that I just went through. Uh, the petitioner must be represented by an attorney for a Section 20 to be allowed on the record by a judge of compensation. And this is to prevent employers or carriers from taking advantage of uh, these poor petitioners. Uh, right here in the very beginning of the statute, I think, uh, and the, as particularly the way it's been interpreted by the courts, we begin to see the sort of gentle paternalism that sort of infects Uh, The way the courts interpret many of our workers compensation statutes Um, the idea that the petitioner I would have no idea what the case is worth and has to have an attorney. Um, of course, it just uh, takes money away from the petitioner, right, because in general, 20% of the award is going to go to the petitioner's counsel, uh, who represents them in a Section 20, uh, and maybe you're not doing a heck of a lot in a case where there's minimal lost time, minimal medical treatment, minimal permanent residual disability, and all parties want to reach a Section 20 anyway. Um, Next, uh, after uh, the base establishment that the uh, parties are represented, um, the parties have to appear before the workers' comp judge and state some sort of issue or issues regarding something fundamental to the case, whether the court has jurisdiction. And as I set forth in the handout, that could be statute of limitations has expired, there's a notice defense, Um, this is not my employee, or the employment relationship is such that I do not have workers' compensation exposure for this injured worker, Um, that there is an issue of liability, Uh, did this accident occur or not occur, that there is an issue of causal relationship, that the petitioner's need for current medical treatment or future medical treatment is actually causally related to this loss. A good example of where there is a significant issue of causal relationship is where the petitioner did have a compensable injury at work, medical treatment was provided, lost time was compensated, and then the petitioner goes and has some subsequent unrelated non-work related uh, loss involving the same body part or similar body part, and in that way superseding any sort of uh, exposure we would have for future causally related medical treatment. and more rarely is uh, dependency an issue. Is this person an actual statutory dependent? Um, do they, can they show actual dependency? Uh, is there some extenuating factor as to why or why not? And we do see these issues come up, and generally speaking, uh, dependency issues are generally resolved by way of Section 20. All right, then the judge um, is supposed to consider all of these, is, uh, these potential issues, and approve the settlement if it is, quote, fair and just under the circumstances. What really happens, or in practice, is the petitioner's attorney oftentimes has to come into court and almost argue against the validity of their own case to, start, uh, to try to persuade the judge of compensation that a Section 20 is appropriate in this case. Uh, it's a crazy situation in which uh, the parties, outside of court generally, have agreed between themselves, hey, this is a, a, cra- a case where we all believe it should be a lump sum dismissal. And think about that for a second. Who is in the best position in the world to know whether or not their case should be resolved by way of a lump sum dismissal? Yeah, we're smart as respondents' attorneys, but you know who knows the uh, the best as to what their actual medical condition is, the likelihood of them actually needing medical treatment in the future, uh, and any other factors that could affect the uh, overall compensation in their case? Well, I believe that's the petitioner. Right, they know how legit their injuries are. They know if they were going to the doctor and just stringing this thing out, or if they really are significantly injured. Uh, they know that if they're going to have that uh, need or want medical treatment going forward into the future, and they may know things that we don't know, such as, hey, by the way, the whole time I was out on temporary total disability, I was actually working, uh, or I'm jet skiing on the weekends. You know, they know a lot about their. Uh, Activities of daily living and other activities which would absolutely affect the compensability of the permanent residual disability in their case and perhaps the underlying compensability of the case. So to me, it seems a little bit ridiculous that then both parties have to come into court after they've reached uh, maybe an arms-length settlement between them taking into consideration all of these factors now have to come into court and now have to convince a worker's compensation law judge from the petitioner's perspective that their case stinks, it has a weakness, it has a fundamental flaw, it has a jurisdictional problem, and judge, you should really approve a Section 20 lump sum dismissal on this case. Um, Think about the position that places the petitioner's attorney into vis-a-vis their own client, in which when they go into chambers and discuss this potential settlement, they have to point out the infirmity of their own case to convince the worker's compensation law judge uh, that the judge should approve it. Now, just putting it on my New York workers' compensation hat uh, on, because I can never really truly take it off, in New York, there's a uh, section in the statute called Section 32, which allows for a lump sum dismissal. Let me tell you something, the workers' compensation law judges do not care about the motivation um, of the parties in reaching a section 32, and they really do not care very much at all about the infirmities of the petitioner's case or the claimant's case. The, the petitioner's counsel doesn't have to come into court and uh, lay a tale of woe before the workers compensation judge for the judge, judge to approve the uh, section 32 lump sum dismissal in that state. What's different in New Jersey? Why, why crossing the river do we have, feel that way? I'm going to get there in a, a, a second. All right, there are zero reported decisions zero, and I I emphasize that, Uh, discussing what the standard is for a judge uh, disapproving a workers' compensation section 20 settlement in New Jersey. The the reason for this really is because if the party has attempted to reach a section 20 and the judge blows it up, you know, you bring it into court, both parties say, hey, we want to do this thing, and the judge says, no way, Uh, really the only avenue would be some sort of order to show cause uh, proceeding to force the workers' compensation judge to allow the parties to exercise their right under Section 20. Um, that's the reason there really are no reported decisions on this, but it also means that the judge of compensation has little case law, if any, actually none, no no case law, zero guidance, explain to them what the terms fair and just means, uh, why or the um, nature uh, of that inquiry into how weak or infirm is the petitioner's case or the uh, defenses on the part of the respondent in which it should motivate uh, the judge to approve that section 20. There is also as of 1980, I'm sorry, uh, 2000, year 2000, a court rule and this was amended to the statute following the decision in Kibble versus Weeks and it was really intended to address the fact that dependency claims cannot be waived uh, without a full statement on the record that future dependency um, Claims are intended to be waived by way of a Section 20. Um, that's called a Kibble. The case is Kibble versus Weeks. And in cases in which a potential dependent is going to waive a potential dependency right, that has to be enumerated. And there's actually additional verbiage that needs to be put into the Section 20 settlement. However, um, again, once again, in the rule uh, as proposed and as adopted in 2000, it once again states that a judge. Uh, may approve a Section 20 when, again, the petitioner is represented by counsel, and the case involves a contested issue, and it is, quote, fair and just. Again, no reported decisions examining when it is fair and just or when the judge should dispose of a case or allow a case to be disposed of by way of Section 20. In other words, when a judge should allow this uh, participation um, uh, or or, uh, permission should be granted to both parties. This is a huge uh, source of frustration to my clients. My clients want to resolve things by way of Section 20, and they say to me, Greg, in every other state, they've got some sort of lump sum dismissal, compromise uh, position that we can take uh, where we pay them once and they go away and goodbye and never see them again, right? And why can't we do this in Jersey? Why is it so hard? Why do the judges not approve so many of them? I have a theory. OK, part of the theory is paternalism. If you take a look at my handout, I tell you, I think that generally speaking, uh, the judges are trained and have a judicial bias towards thinking that the petitioner is uh, being taken advantage of and needs someone in addition to their own attorney to look out for their own best interests. I certainly disagree with it because I think it's sort of um, a gentle Uh, way of saying uh, the petitioner's own attorneys don't do a good job, which I think is absolutely false. I think that they are ably represented by their own attorneys. Um, But there is a judicial bias towards it. And I think part of it is politically motivated. We are practicing in the state of New Jersey. Uh, These are political appointments, and we have to always consider the impact of politics on any of the biases, particularly when we see them expressed by an institution. Um, I took a little time to take a look at the statistics uh, in the Division of Workers' Compensation. I went back 25 years, starting in 1990. As you can see, back in 1990, about 53,000 new claim petitions, those are for new specific dates of loss, were filed in the year 1990, and a very small percentage, only about um, 2% or so. Uh, were reopeners, 2,300 reopeners. So back in 1990, about 55,000 new claims and a small percentage of them are reopeners. What we've seen over time is the number of claim petitions in New Jersey has trended down. And it's been just a real slow trend over the last 25 years. And now they hover at right around 34,000, 35,000 per year. And in fact, if you go back to 2006, uh, and then go forward, it's like thirty-four, thirty-five thousand 35,000 new claim petitions a year. But what has changed is the number of reopeners has increased. In fact, it's tripled in that same time period. And this is because there's sort of a... Uh, tacit understanding in the bench in the bar in New Jersey, and that is this. The first time you bring your admitted compensable case to workers' compensation court in New Jersey, it's unlikely that you're going to be approved for a Section 20 lump sum dismissal at that time. It's much more likely that even if the parties want a Section 20, the judge will disapprove it and instead the parties will resolve the matter by way of Section 22, which is an order approving settlement then the matter will be reopened. And generally speaking, they are reopened. Something like a third of those claims that are closed by way of Section 22 are reopened within the statutory two-year time period. And then those matters are resolved by way of Section 20. Now, I hate to be a conspiracy theorist, but if you look at the, uh, uh, the slow trend down on the one side of the uh, injuries that are resulting in claim petitions and then the slow trend up in reopeners, it seems to me like there is an institutional bias and the institutional bias is, hey, we're not going to approve these Section 20s the first time because we want people to come back with a with a, uh, reopener. It puts a little volume into the system and it provides some justification for the Division of Workers' Compensation to exist and to continue to uh, have as many employees as it did back then. And in fact, its budget is higher certainly than it was in 1990. And I did put the statistics about that in the uh, handout that we've provided for today, which you can download as we go along here today. Um, and let's not forget, these are political appointments, it's a political system, and the interest of the employer in closing these things out with finality, even if it results in more initial money moving to the petitioner, uh, contrasts with that sort of institutional bias of, uh, well, we want to keep some volume in the system to justify our own existence. Um, all right. That's a little bit about Section 20. Please feel free to ask me any questions you have about it. Again, it is the goal of my life to move all claims towards a Section 20 final resolution. Generally speaking, in New Jersey, if you do not close your case the first time on a Section 20, meaning the first time that the matter reaches the uh, the uh, point in the case in which the degree and nature of permanent residual disability is to be resolved, Generally speaking, at that first reopener, it should be resolved by way of a Section 20. Generally speaking, at some point, the at that point the uh, institutional bias reverses, and judges seem to be very happy to approve a Section 20 lump sum dismissal of that reopened case. Um, again, the the goal of or the the reason it's such a valuable tool, Section 20, is because it is a lump sum dismissal, and it does close out all of our future exposure, including indemnity exposure and medical. But that creates another problem, and that's a little bit of the barrier I want to talk about next, which is our lovely Medicare Act, which was signed into law in 1965. Um, at that time, to be to qualify for Medicare, you have to be uh, paying into it for 10 years, sufficient, sufficient enough number of quarters paid in, and there are other requirements for that you're 65 years old, a resident of the United States of America, have end-stage renal disease, or be on Social Security disability for 24 months. Of course, at that time, the life expectancy was 66 and a half years old in this this country, and therefore no one anticipated that Medicare would be paying for people's medical needs for 20 or 30 years as they are currently. By 1980, everyone realized this system is absolutely going bankrupt, and it's going bankrupt quickly. Uh, The Medicare as a Secondary Payer Act was passed. This is 42 U.S.C. 1395-Y, and generally speaking, it just says, hey, Medicare should not be paying for things, which should be covered by some other form of insurance, whether that's motor vehicle insurance or workers' compensation. And in fact, workers' compensation is primary to Medicare. However, for the first 21 years after uh, the Secondary Payer Act was passed, nobody paid attention to it. And I can tell you personally, from my personal experience, resolving cases in 1998, 1999, 2000, 2001, we would go on to the record We'd be offering a petitioner a very large Section 20 lump sum dismissal settlement of $100,000. And sometimes the petitioner would say, "Uh, judge, uh," and and the petitioner, the judge would say to the petitioner, now you understand that if you accept the settlement, your right to future medical care uh, will be uh, your own responsibility. And the petitioner would say, "Uh, judge, uh, what does that mean? What if I need more treatment in the future? And the judge would say, don't worry, just charge it to Medicare. Uh, or the parties would say something like that. And, we've, and you know, we have took part in the settlements in which that was understood, that Medicare was going to pick it up. In 2001, Medicare signaled that they're going to start to really be uh, enforcing their secondary payer uh, status and requiring that workers' compensation uh, carriers and policies really take care of these people going forward, and that if we were settling cases that way by way of a lump sum dismissal and not taking Medicare's future medical exposure into account, we're going to be in trouble. Uh, Why do we care about this? Well, the law says that they can collect double damages against us if we are purposefully moving money into Medicare's exposure bucket and out of ours, okay? Also, the beneficiary will get a termination notice, and they'll have their benefits offset until the secondary payer uh, either lien is reimbursed or future medicals come out. Uh, What do you think is going to happen then? I think the uh, claimant who's having their benefits stopped or suspended and their uh, income deducted is going to bring a lawsuit against somebody and guess who they're going to name everybody involved in that workers compensation settlement and they're gonna say you didn't tell me uh, so now when we do believe that there is an opportunity for Medicare to have a future in the, in the case or current interest we have to take it into account now this delays and slows down our section 20 resolutions Uh, we have to consider two things. First, whether or not there has been a lien or we have to make a future allocation. Now, the lien essentially means that Medicare paid for something they shouldn't have, right? We've gone and resolved the case by way of Section 20 and sometime either during the case, either on its own, Medicare sends a notice to the party saying, hey, we paid for something you should have paid for. These are called conditional payments or we've requested a conditional payment ledger from Medicare, okay, one or the other. Uh, They'll send out a wonderful uh, little letter saying, hey, I think you owe all this stuff to me, and at the time we resolve this case by way of Section 20, we have to have a plan in place to resolve those outstanding lien payments. Sometimes we'll go through the uh, spreadsheet that Medicare will provide us, and we'll say, hey, wait a second, this is for pneumonia, this is treatment for You know, a root canal you have, there'll be some other medical care on there that we know is not related to the workers' compensation case. And so we'll communicate with Medicare and say, listen, that's not part of your actual lien in this workers' comp case. Uh, That's got nothing to do with us. Uh, That's out of here. But the other ones that are related, and usually it'll be an ICD code uh, or CPT code that matches uh, the body part and the type of treatment that is being provided in our workers' comp case. At the time of resolution of our Section 20, we will have to make that conditional payment uh, made whole, and that will usually be reimbursing Medicare. All right, what about Medicare's future exposure? Um, yep, uh, Medicare will require us, uh, this is again pure compliance work, to make sure that we do a set aside to consider its future interest. Um, there are some tight, ty- uh, two red times when you have to be considerate of this. Number one, the petitioners are already entitled to Medicare, meaning they've been on Social Security for two years. They're over 65. They have end-stage renal disease, or otherwise classified as someone who we think is going to be uh, Medicare-entitled already. Uh, or uh, the settlement is over $250,000, and we believe they may have a reasonable expectation to Medicare entitlement in the future. Eligible is very easy. Uh, just meets any one of these criteria that I've already been through. Reasonable expectation means that within uh, 30 months of the workers' compensation settlement that they are going to be entitled to Medicare. And, and what does that mean? Um, what, what, how do we know that? Well, we'll know their age. Hopefully we know their date of birth at the time we're settling the workers' compensation case. We can also look at the other uh, sort of comorbidities. Hey, is this person having stage renal disease? Is this the type of person who we think is going to be Medicare uh, entitled soon? Have they already applied for Social Security disability and been denied? Uh, Have they applied for social security security disability and it's pending? Have they been denied it and appealed uh, that that denial? So those are all the sort of situations where we would want to look at uh, whether or not they have a a reasonable expectation of becoming uh, entitled uh, within that two and a half year period. All right Medicare is going to respond one of two ways when we communicate with them. Um, They'll always come back to you and give you a conditional payment lien if the claimant is already Medicare entitled and Medicare believes that they have been uh, using their Medicare card to get services to get medical treatment, which really should have been related to the workers' compensation case. There is a current uh, review threshold for the future allocations, and that future allocation threshold is $25,000. If the workers' compensation settlement is below that, Medicare really won't review it and give you back a letter saying, "Um, good, you guys are good to go, and we're happy with this amount of allocation. Um, They will send consent letters, though, if the threshold is met. Unfortunately, Medicare issues will sometimes destroy our opportunity to resolve a case by way of Section 20. Our goal to resolve a case by way of Section 20 and pay one lump sum and uh, completely uh, destroy the right to future indemnity benefits, reopener benefits, and future medical creates this conflict with our obligation under the Secondary Payer Act Uh, to make sure that we don't unnecessarily or uh, improperly shift exposure for future medical to Medicare. That can complicate the resolution of a Section 20. And sometimes I've had cases where the amount of exposure in the workers' comp case was quite low. We really thought we had good defenses and we said, hey, let's get rid of this thing for $10,000. Medicare comes back and says, well, Great, this person's Medicare entitled for this exact same condition, it's a low back sprain, and we think there's going to be $100,000 in future medicals that you need to set aside. All of a sudden, this very small de minimis $10,000 Section 20, here's your money, go away, never come back money, turns into $10,000 plus $100,000. And it destroys the viability of that settlement. All right, that's a little bit of an overview of workers' compensation, uh, settlements under Section 20 and the barriers to them. Uh, Let me see if there's any questions here besides the uh, Vicky questions that I talked about before (laughs) where it was just, uh, I think someone was maybe put their coffee cup down on their keyboard. All right, here we go. Adria says, I'm hearing a terrible echo. Okay, Uh, sorry about that. Um, Okay, Jim asked the questions. Any judges ordering carriers to pay for medical treatment, uh, sorry, medical marijuana, anything new on this topic? Okay, a little bit off topic, but so far in New Jersey, uh, although we do expect this to change very, very, very soon with the uh, swearing in of our new Governor Murphy, uh, no, there is no medical marijuana being provided under our Workers' Compensation Act right now. Okay, to be determined. Do you concur that you would not want to do a Section 20 when the injured worker continues to work for the client, or are there circumstances where you would consider it? Okay, that question comes from William. Yeah, I don't concur that every time the um, employee continues to work for the insured or the employer, a Section 20 is off the table. I do think that there are some circumstances you wouldn't want to do, and particularly signaling circumstances. I wouldn't want to signal to my current employee workforce that, hey, every time, there's a slip and fall or a bruise, or you get a little cut on your finger, we're gonna do some kind of giant Section 20 resolution in your case. I think you go for the dismissal in that circumstance. Um, So there's that sort of signaling and not wanting to create this uh, sub-market at work where people are looking for their Section 20 opportunities. Um, In the past, the um, uh, attorney justification for not doing a Section 20, uh, when the petitioner continues to work for the insured or the employer, is that, hey, it doesn't count as workers' compensation in some weird way, uh, because it is, even though it hits the insured's experience and modifications, et cetera, it's not, quote, a payment of compensation. Uh, And therefore, the person could strain their back, get $10,000 on a Section 20, and then come back to work, say, I'm back, whoop, I just strained my back again, and then try to do the exact same thing all over again. well. I don't think that that's really a legitimate uh, reason not to do a Section 20 uh, because we'll still have the medicals from the first case. Uh, With CIB and ISO reports, I don't think they're really going to get over on us like that. And even if the second injury is much more significant and actually disabling, just because you paid something under a Section 20 doesn't mean that you lose the ability to claim it as a credit in the future going forward. Uh, that's maybe been something that uh, hasn't been very clear with uh, insureds and employers in the past, but I want to be very clear about that. It doesn't really matter how the matter is resolved. You can still claim that their petitioner had pre-existing disability. I mean, think about this. We uh, claim a credit for pre-existing disability for injuries that occurred in other states, for injuries that occurred uh, in the distant past, and for injuries that did not relate to any kind of work-related accident. Remember, in New Jersey, I don't have to demonstrate that the petitioners uh, had an impact on their ability to earn a living or wage capacity. I just have to prove that they had a medical injury and an impairment of some kind at some time that they sought treatment for. That's it. It's actually a very low bar, and so I disagree with the idea that Uh, we never have to, uh, or or we should never do a Section 20 if we still either, A, insure the employer or are the employer or still have coverage. All right, Denise uh, asked the question, can you resolve a claim in court without a Medicare set-aside allocation letter if you have requested the allocation and will reimburse what is due in the future anyway? Sometimes it takes a long time to get info for Medicare. So what you're saying is essentially, uh, close a case by way of a section 20, and state, hey, uh, I just wanna make sure that you're ta- we're talking about the same thing. Uh, you mean the CMS approval letter. Uh, so you could then add it a little section. I meant CMS letter, not the set-aside allocation. Yeah, uh, you don't have to get their approval. Uh, you can roll the dice a little bit, And frankly, I think it's a very low risk rolling of the dice. Remember, this is just pure compliance here uh, uh, to say, hey, look, I don't have a Medicare approval letter, but I do have a set-aside allocation that I obtained from a vendor or I created myself or my attorney came up with. We think this adequately uh, reflects Medicare's future interest in this case, and that's what we're going to set aside. Yeah, I'm comfortable with that. Uh, Those... uh, The the second step where Medicare will write a little note saying we've reviewed this and we think this amount adequately considers Medicare's interest, that's great. That's an extra piece of insurance. You can sleep better at night maybe having that, but it's absolutely not necessary. Okay. Uh, Although I'll I'll make this point, though. Uh, Some workers' compensation judges may not want to do a a Section 20 where that uh, Medicare allocation approval letter has not come through. So that's a consideration. All right. I hope everybody following along learned a little bit about Section 20 and a little bit about Medicare. Feel free to email me any questions you may have. I hope everybody that's watching already has copies of my New Jersey handbook. Please let me know if you don't. I'll be happy to get one in the mail to you. Uh, Our our webinar series is every fourth Monday of the month. Next month, we'll be talking about reopeners and appeals, one of my favorite topics in New Jersey. And we'll do a little bit of review of the new appellate case law. Uh, thank you for joining us here today. I hope you have a wonderful week. See you soon.